Untitled Beatles podcast. TJ, are they ever going to let anything be? These Beatles? I don't think so. I'm waiting for the day when they finally re-release the Beatles story on vinyl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's... What's that funny band that they were called before the Beatles? Like the Terrible Twos or what? They had some goofy name and it's referenced in the Beatles story. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it Johnny and the Digger Roadhogs? (laughs) While in Germany, the other Beatles, at that time including the late Stuart Sutcliffe, Paul McCartney, who had been with John since the days of the not-too-successful Nurk Twins, and George, who had just become a Beatle, all found the young German Fräuleins much to their liking. I love Beatles' story. That narrator is one of the great... John came from a polite area of Liverpool where Ringo was from the Dingo. (laughs) (laughs) It's so film strip. It's great. It's great. I love it. I love it. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. Of course, I'm Tony Mendoza. And this week, I'm TJ Shanoff, but I'm a bit of a chameleon. <laughs> Both Karma and Herbie. Red, gold, and Red, gold, and I just heard that. I was at the Brown Elephant today, and... Uh, they had that song of playing at the uh, Brown Elephant here in Andersonville in Chicago. TJ, I relocated to Chicago just for you, man, just for this podcast. Yeah, I know. Now I got no fucking excuses. Yeah, sure, I'll <laughs> hang out. Uh, my asthma's bad. I can't. We did. There, there's a picture floating around in our in- Follow us on Insta. We have a lot of... We, Tony takes pictures of my food. We got a fun mm-hmm. thing going on. Yeah. But there's a picture of Tony and I out... We're not masked because we're outside, you ding-dongs. Uh, at a bar in Andersonville, one of your favorite bars, a bar I've walked by a million times, never been to, but there's a picture of us from two weeks ago having a little, uh, our first reunion since the fall of 88. Excuse yeah, me, man. 2018, <laughs> fall of 88. Well, same thing. I mean, that's when I got into the Beatles, so. <laughs> well, that's uh, your favorite, I know, solo uh, Walter Becker song is called The Fall of 92. That's a reference that's too deep for, even if you love Steely Dan, you don't know that one. <laughs> Thanks to George Bush and those Nazis down in Washington, D.C. He, of course, played uh, Swan in The Warriors (laughs) and Xanadu. Take your colors off, you can walk through. You hear me? Fuck you. Let's go. Yeah, that's right, Warriors. Just keep walking. Real tough mothers, ain't you? You guys don't show me much. Why don't you dickheads just walk all the way back home, huh? Sorry, I'm thinking of Michael Beck. Sorry. Yeah, who then went <laughs> on to do the, the theme to um, the Lego movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's all true, and you've heard it here (laughs) on the Untitled Beatles podcast. Well, we finally got time. This came out about a week and a half ago to digest the Let It Be special edition. Special edition. Special edition. Special edition. Special edition. God, I can't wait to talk about this with you. Me too. I'm so excited. This took me forever to really get into. I I was traveling a bit for work. You know, you and I are both hustling like crazy. We talked about this with both All Things Must Pass and Plastic Ono Band, those reissues. I want to preface this at the start. 
I love new Beatles product or reissue Beatles product. I always have. I'm the asshole who rebuys everything and these new remixes make it worth it. Asshole. But, hey, asshole. <laughs> this this took work. <laughs> There's the, the book in this is 300 pages. The get back book is 300 pages. Uh, I mean, it's there's so, plus I went back and like I listened to a lot of the Nagra stuff to compare what was on, what had been edited, yeah. the stuff that had been on anthology, the let it be naked stuff. This was right. a ton of homework and I'm thrilled because I love it. But a lot of homework in this one. So much cross referencing, so much researching with the dates and all that. But I had a blast doing it. And I will say me too. Uh, yeah, we also both picked up the Get Back book, which came out uh, just on the Tuesday or whatever before Let It Be came out. And uh, we're going to have to do a two-parter. This time we know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be done in 20 minutes. Yeah, the album's good. It's a bloody okay. Beatles. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It's sold. It's the bloody Beatles. Let it be. Shut up. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to split this up into two parts. So we're going to go over the Let It Be, the new mixes, plus all the extras, the outtakes, and the jams, etc., and then in part two, we'll go over the Get Back, Glyn John's mixes, and the LP that was included in the 5LP set. <laughs> Along with the 12-inch four-song 45 RPM EP, and then the Get Back book. So we'll do kind of a Get Back kind of a thing for part two. And this will be more of a let it be thing. How about that? It's a great idea. And we should also tease that when the Get Back movie debuts in Disney Plus, we're going to do three weeks of just a real deep dive initially on Ringo's Rota Gravure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to piss you off. <laughs> yeah, this, we're anti-comedy. We think unfunny stuff's funny. Actually, people who listen already know this. Of course they do. That's yeah, that's our style, man. So overall, what did you think? Uh, I think we both picked up the 5LP set, correct? Ganked mine from a mom and pop <laughs> store. Old dude runs it. Fuck you, dude. Capitalism. <laughs> what am I saying? Was it that, that comic shop on Addison Avenue that's on a slant and they sell like old TV guys? And yesterday's stuff? it was called. Named after yeah, Paul. Yesterday's. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you know, the original title of that store in Addison was Scrambled Eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but all back together. They actually took that store down. Folks, if you went to Wrigley oh. Field or Wrigleyville any year between like the 50s and five years ago, it is so different now. It makes me, as a disgruntled Cubs fan, what they've done to Wrigleyville, basically making it fucking Anaheim, makes me very yeah. upset. There's no, the Taco Bell is like in a Chase Bank building now. It's like clean. Nobody's going to get mugged there. I'm not a fan of new Wrigleyville. Or Cubs ownership. Yeah. It's like uh, they made it like the airport. Yeah. But hey. All needs is a authentic Chicago pizza at Sabaro. Um, <laughs> yeah. I bought the 5LP version of this as well. And I mean, I was breathless over all things must pass. I think I called it the best remix of any of the archive, including what, you know, White Album and Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road and all that stuff. Uh, this takes the cake. I am so blown away by this set. It certainly has its faults mm. um, that we're going to get to. There's some omissions and some interesting choices here. But in general, 
we've done deep dives on the Let It Be album, Tony, the Let It Be Naked album. Right. I think we both agreed when we reviewed the Naked album a few months ago that, yes, it's wonderful in so many ways, but it's not the Let It Be album cleaned up. It's a lot of the same takes, but without the talking and a lot of the Dig It Maggie Mae stuff. Yeah. We finally have this Beatles record that I am pretty damn certain is my number two or number three favorite Beatles record cleaned up. In the best way possible, and the outtakes are fun, we'll get to those, the book is fun, but the main uh, Let It Be record, what a gift to have this thing remixed. I think it's absolutely glorious. Yeah, it's totally fun, yeah. I I think the packaging, too, it's in a big old box, and it has these uh, die-cut windows. John Kosh, who did the original design, we've kind of turned his design into a, a doll's house, so to speak. Ah, Ibsen. Know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I might have just made that up. I was doing a reference. That was what the White Album was supposed to be called, right? Yes! Yes, that's right! A Doll's House. Yeah. And John Kosh, who later did the design for Who's Next, Hotel California, by the Eagles, Mm. the Philadelphia Eagles, Mm. Uh, Stones, Get Your Yaya's Out, Ringo's Bad Boy. No. (laughs) Yeah, he did. And Rotogravure. Ay, 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 ay. did all those up until uh, come on and sniff them roses. <laughs> That's what it was called in Germany when it was <laughs> on the boardwalk label. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great cover. It's so stark and, um, you know, it, it flies in the face. We'll talk about in the next episode of what the Beatles wanted to be, which was the get back cover, which gained right. its notoriety on the blue album. But initially the yes. blue album cover the was supposed to be the callback to Please Please Me, which was mm-hmm. the Red Album cover. And I'm saying words. They're not in the right order. Are they making sense? They are making sense. OK, just making sure. <laughs> Uh, one thing about the packaging I want to run by you, and this was the case both in the Abbey Road LPs and I'm pretty sure the uh, the uh, Esher and White Album LPs, there's still something unnerving to me. Tony, help me out with mm. this, was seeing the Universal logo on the spine of, of a Beatles record. I'm I like, look, I love E.T., I love Jurassic Park, I love Back to the Future, but there's still something strange about seeing the Universal logo on Beatles records. I don't know how to feel about it. Am I going to? far well that's you know i know you've got a thing with the whole labels and all that that is something that i think is unique i'm i'm where where do you see the universal logo it's on the spine of the box itself it's not on the record it's on the so when you display the box you see the apple logo and the universal logo now i see it you're right well you know what you can always face it the other way where you see all the the spines of the actual records so there's your solve. That's great. Or, you know, what I do, and I don't want to get political, but I, uh, Universal's for Libs, I tape it up and put a big Fox Nation banner on. It makes <laughs> me feel better about the size of my tiny dong. Hey, is Tucker on? Somebody get me the Nivy. I'm going to hurt myself. Um, but yeah, the the album, the design is 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 awesome. The whole experience of opening it and listening to it, the book is gorgeous. Yeah, the book's great. Vinyl's the way to go in this. I do. I did not get the CD box set, but the vinyl of this thing can't be beat. Yeah, let's talk about the book. Actually, it's pretty cool. It's 105 pages. There's a lot of pictures by Ethan Russell and uh, Linda McCartney as well, I believe. Who's that now? <laughs> 
she uh, she ran this like uh, vegetarian microwavable food company. Oh the, right, in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, she was a big Beatles oh, fan. The artist who released that uh, suit with part of Susie and the Red Stripes. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> great though so it's a big old 12 by 12 book you know it's the size of a record and uh yeah there's a forward by paul you get an introduction by giles martin you get a piece from glenn johns what he remembers and then uh yeah and a few pieces by kevin howlett what do you want now track by track rehearsals and apple jams and get back to let it be there it's great it's a great read it gives you a lot of insight into you know just how this is I, you know, I, I didn't really think about it. Like, to me in my head, listening to this album, digesting it, I always knew, like, yeah, it was kind of recorded in January, but then Phil Spector got on it, and then they did I Me Mine, and, you know, Across the Universe is from 1968. It just felt like a real kind of a hodgepodge. But the bulk of it really is just 21 days, 10 days at Twickenham Studios, and 11 days at Savile Row, Apple Studios. And that's basically it. Other than I Me Mine, it was just like 21 days. And in those 21 days, Tony, they're bringing in songs that will be on Abbey Road and the first McCartney album and all things must pass and Plastic Ono. Talk about overflowing with material. Yeah. Considering they were creating a lot of this from scratch, leftover stuff from uh, the White Album that appeared right. on Easter demos, Polythene Pam and all that would be on, yeah. on Abbey Road. They had so much material in their last days. It's wild. Well, let's have a much longer then. Well, you know, they seem to give us cauliflower yesterday. Okay. You should see Palatine Pam. She's not good looking, but she looks like a man. Well, you should see her in drag, dressed in a Palatine bag. Yes, you should see Palatine Pam. You should see her in the dress. No, you should see her when she's dressed to the hills. She's killer diller in the jackboots and kills. But she's the kind of the girl that makes the news of the world Yes, you can say she was attractively built You say she was attractively built I'll say she was attractively built, I'll say Oh, yeah Yeah, and then the back page uh, There's that drawing that George Harrison did of Looks like the Beatles on top of, like, a skyscraper <laughs> With the, the bobbies entering from below It almost looks like the Eiffel Tower, eh? Yeah, a little bit uh, It reads, do you know who you are singing to? So uh, two fabs for George's grammar. Do you know to whom you are singing, George? <laughs> Actually, that's been debunked. That that comes from like Latin. The only reason you shouldn't end a sentence with a preposition has to do with Latin. But in English, it's okay, I think. We've decided. All right. I'm, I, I'm cool with that, irregardless of the truth. <laughs> In the dictionary. And uh, a skit has replaced sketch in the comedy community. <laughs> Cute skit, Johnny. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you use that word skit? I'm doing integrity-filled comedy. It's a sketch. <laughs> yeah, I killed a man. When I came home, there was a man in my house. I fought with this man. Uh -huh. Whatever. He had a mechanical arm. Well, he called my level four Second City Conservatory work skits. Hey guys, you filming another one of your little skits? It's not a f skit! 
Um, yeah, one thing about the book I wanted to mention, too, as we talk labels, Tony, there's been a bunch of pressings of this record. We mentioned a couple episodes ago that the original Gatefold U.S. issue, which I think was only Gatefold in the U.S., when it came back, when Capital got the rights in 1980, they took the Gatefold out. They took the pictures that were in the Gatefold and they put them on the inner sleeve, oh. at least until the final vinyl pressing in 92. Uh Excuse me, there was one in 95 that was in like a weird white Apple label as part of the limited edition when they pressed those in 95. But in in 88, I might be, I'm getting the years wrong. In 88 was when the, the C1 vinyl came out with the, um, the small purple capital manufactured label and they were still replicating the gatefold in the inner sleeve. But it's the only copy, I think, in the world that had the album with a red Apple Yes. In the rest of the world, it was green. And in the book, it's a nice touch. In the front page of the book, the only place you can find it is the red apple on the title page of the inside of the book that comes with. The only place you'll see the red apple, which is kind of a nice nod to American fans. I think in general, the only place I'm a, I'm a nationalist where I'm super rah-rah America is with the Beatles releases. Like, except Magical Mystery Tour... The Beatles releases, as we've talked about a million times in the show, have just been thrown away. You'd think with all these extra records, like the fucking EP couldn't have the U.S. red label <laughs> just as a nod to the millions of copies it sold in America. I think sometimes the Beatles organization throws the American experience under the bus. I'm kidding about the nationalism thing, but it does kind of bug me a bit that like... Yeah, how many copies let it be with the same track list were sold in the States? I didn't expect them to replicate the gatefold, but th throw us the red vinyl or the, the red uh, label, Apple label on one of the records, right? I don't see why not. I don't know. I, I, I take that too seriously, but <laughs> I'm also, I've lost my mind. Well, my mom had that copy. Uh, she had, back when this album came out, she had a, a British pen pal. And he acquired a copy of the uh, deluxe version that was in Britain at the time that came with this book, which I'm holding now in my hand. Wow. And uh, like the pages do not attach themselves to the spine anymore. So opening it and going through it is a bit of a... Mishagas. A Mishagas. It turns <laughs> into a will. 52 pickup, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell am I supposed to do to kill time? Oh, maybe I'll play 52 Pickup. <sighs> this game's better if there's someone else here. But it's a lot of pictures. Actually, you get a lot more pictures in this old school Let It Be book. And then there's some dialogue, too. I remember, yeah, I remember reading this, but not getting it, you know, because they're, they're speaking in their, like, funny kind of insular code beetle <laughs> language. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to And in my hour of darkness, she is standing left in front of me, squeaking turds of whiskey over me, over me. Daddy wants wee-wees. <laughs> what am I reading? But uh, yeah, it's a it's a great book. Um, but uh, I really like I really like this book. They also tell you what gear they used, and I'm just gonna run down this real quick because there might be some gearheads listening. This is the first time Ringo used that uh, Ludwig Hollywood five piece kit, the maple finish kit. Um, but he still used his uh, wooden oyster black pearl snare. At Twickenham, he used two symbols. At Apple, he got three. 
Paul played a, his 63 Hofner violin bass. It looked like he went through a Fender basement amp. And in fact, you can see he took the sticker off the basement amp and stuck it right on, on the bass at one point. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. What is it? Is it Bluthner? Is that the brand of piano? I've never, I've seen it a million times because it's in the movie, obviously, too, but I've never, I'm not familiar with how to pronounce it. Bluthner. 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 It has an umlaut, so I imagine that's Bluthner. I love Hanson. Umlaut. <laughs> love, love. Umlaut. Get enough, Bluthner. <laughs> Uh, he played a Martin D28 acoustic. And then you do see pictures of that Rickenbacker bass on the floor. So I don't know if he ever actually used it, but it was it was there and ready. John played his beloved Epiphone Casino, which I believe they had acquired that around the Revolver era. I want to say the Revolver al- album had a lot of Epiphone Casino on it. I, I, and I, I don't mean to be that picky, but I prefer the Epiphone Goodfellas to the Epiphone Casino. <laughs> I feel like it had been done already. <laughs> No bits during gear talk. <laughs> Good We're in the gear dojo. <laughs> if you like car talk, you'll love the Untitled Beatles podcast, <laughs> Gear Talk. No, all right. So uh, John used George's Gibson J200 acoustic for two of us. And uh, forget what else he played with that. Uh, he played bass with the old Fender 6, or as you would say, the Fender VI. Under VI, sure. <laughs> Which also has, I don't want to spoil the party on it. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck to the back. <laughs> like Paul's set list. And then uh, that's, that lap guitar he used was a, a Hofner Hawaiian Standard. Uh, George, yes, used the Gibson J200 acoustic. His red Gibson Les Paul, which was named Lucy, which was a gift from Eric Clapton in August of 1968. Uh, he played a Wawa pedal, an Arbiter Fuzz Face distortion pedal, a Fender Rosewood Telecaster through a Leslie speaker, and then there are pics of him playing that psychedelic Stratocaster that he painted, I believe, with Patty's nail polish. But yeah, there's pictures of that. And then keyboards for uh, Billy Preston. I know, we're going long here. <laughs> Casey, three-parter. Six-parter, Casey. <laughs> Six-parter. Fender Rhodes, Silver Sparkle 70. There's a Hammond organ and then the, the Lowry DSO Heritage Deluxe organ. Thank you. Thank you. You talk about all the gear the Beatles used, and it makes me think of the great Chill Wave song. First gear, all right. Second chill gear, wave. Chill Wave, all right. Third gear. Uh, let's play How Much Does Tony Know About the Beatles, everybody. All right, tough guy. Okay. Name the brand of the anvil Mal Evans played badly <laughs> while rehearsing Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Okay, well, considering they use it as an ashtray, I'm going to go with Dunhill. It is a Dunhill. All right. Yeah, so the gear is a big part of the book. And I there's a few things I, I learned in the book. Before I get to that, I'll tell you in Paul's foreword, he tells the ocean liner story. Uh, about, you know, I mean, th- this we all knew about how they proposed doing it on, on an ocean liner. And that's what inspired Paul in a boat for the anthology. <laughs> Which is still one of the greatest Paul in a boat 
Rubber Soul. Hey, hey, which is so good. Rubber Soul. Hey, hey. But uh, there's a couple funny things he talks about in 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 the book. I must admit, I wasn't keen on Phil Spector's additions. Right. Which uh, which I, the way he phrases it is later in the book they show the bullet point letter he wrote to uh, yes. to Alan Klein, and it goes. Uh, also, don't ever do it again. But in 2021, it's I, I wasn't keen on Phil Spector's additions. No, he he threatened to sue. He hated it. He tried to get everything stripped from the album. It was too late by then. Dear sir, in future, no one will be allowed to add to or subtract from a recording of one of my songs without my permission. Don't ever do it again. Signed, all caps, underlined, Paul McCartney. It's so good. Uh, the first few pages in Paul's forward, Peter Jackson is mentioned, so it's an early mention yeah. for him. The next bit's from Giles Martin. He thanks Glenn Johns. I don't see a thank you to Michael Lindsay Hogg <laughs> anywhere. No, it concerns he's been, me a bit yeah. that he's thrown under the bus. He's been scrubbed out, mostly. I mean, not obviously not in like the Get Back book, because he's, you know, about one-fifth of the dialogue as well. Yeah, but, he's integral, obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he kind of made himself a part of like one of those supporting characters in this uh, movie, if you will. Well, when we get to the Get Back book, we'll talk how the characters are laid out like it's a play, which is so neat. Giles Martin in the foreword talks about Phil Spector's arrangements and says, quote, while they perhaps lacked the sensitivity of my dad's, they did create a timeless sound that had to be respected in the new mix. So to me, the headline is, why is Giles Martin standing up for a murderer? <laughs> There you go. That's Do we the cancel spin. Giles? Uh, yes, <laughs> immediately. Yep. Now that I see it your way, TJ, let's cancel Giles Martin. Cancel Giles Martin. Cancel Giles Martin. Cancel, cancel Giles Martin. <laughs> Uh, the, the question I had for you, the thing I learned that I didn't know, I mentioned learning things, and uh, Glenn Johns in his foreword says Paul and John sang on a Stones track is how he met them. Now, I knew they obviously wrote I Want to Be Your Man for the Stones, but forgive my Beatles stupidity, what Stones song do John and Paul sing on? I want to say it's um, We Love You around um, 67. From Satanic Majesties? Yeah. Yeah, I want to say they sang on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense now. I had heard that, but reading it, I was like, it just didn't strike me. I, I couldn't think. It's like, well, Paul chewed vegetables on the song Vegetables. <laughs> right, Beach Boys, right. <laughs> the Beach Boys right, song, right. yeah. I tried to kick the ball, but my tinny flew right out. I'm red as a beat, because I'm so Well, the thing I learned was that the whole film concept of the Let It Be film was inspired by a Picasso documentary from 1956, which showed him painting on a translucent piece of paper. So you see the first stroke and then you see the finished piece. And that was kind of the concept of this coming in just blank, which they did. I mean, they had a couple songs, but nothing ready to go, so to speak. Yeah, a lot of loose demos and a lot of things kind of floating around. 
Yeah, I would say this book, the Abbey Road book is lovely. The White Album book is great. Pepper, when they were kind of starting off with these reissues, is still pretty good too. But this Let It Be book is amazing. They've really gotten it right this time. I Dig a Pygmy by Charles Hawtrey and the Deaf Aids. Phase one in which Doris gets her oats. Well, let's talk about these new mixes. 2021, Giles Martin. Who was the other guy? I always forget his name. Sam... Sam Okel or Sam Okel? Yeah, however you say that. Yes, thank you. Um, he, he's an Okel from Muskoka. <laughs> I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskoka. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think they sounded crisper and louder, obviously cleaner. I mean, it's the stuff we've come to expect from Giles Martin. Like, he's, he's using the technology right, and I don't think he's rewriting history. I think he's just, yeah, he's just making the bass more bass and the treble, more treble. And the bass, especially, there are some Paul moments that are not Paul moments in the original pressings of this. I went back and compared this to my 1970 vinyl on Apple that's a little beat up. I compared it to the the small Purple Capital manufactured 88 vinyl. This is by far the single, like all things must, you could basically turn us off, just listen to all things must pass, our our deep dive on that box set. And I'll say the same thing about this. It is now the definitive, why would you ever go back and listen to the original mix of this when this thing exists? And the preciousness of all things must pass that a lot of fans brought in Plastic Ono Band of, well, you know, it's not the way George or John intended it. Hmm. You know, the original Let It Be isn't the way George and John and Paul and Ringo <laughs> intended it. So there can't be any purest complaints about this remix. This thing's been a nebulous. Paul had his turn in 03 doing that Let It Be Naked thing. But yeah, two of us, you know something special's going on. It's louder than the original pressing. And it's not just louder, like loudness wars louder. To your point, right. it's warmer, it's crisper, and it's bassier. It feels like you're listening to it, something recorded recently, not 51 years ago. Two of us wearing raincoats, standing so low in the sun. You and me chasing Yeah, like on two of us, technically there is no bass, but the thing that sounds like bass is George's electric guitar, the Telecaster there. And I heard that yes. so much more in the mix in a way that wasn't, you know, intrusive or whatever. I just, it's great. It's it's great. It's, yeah, it's like these songs get a little more spring or, you know, or they took some Adderall or something. I don't know, man. <laughs> Beatles on Adderall. <laughs> File under rock. <laughs> You're now talking about crack. But speaking of Adderall, one of my, my next note, Tony, is Dig a Pony, the, the studio talk and the sniffles have never been so clear. I tied sniffing with Adderall. Thank I don't you. know if one does that or not, but <laughs> I mean, you why, know, not? why not? You're now talking about glue sniffing. You're now talking about life-threatening things. Things get real hard. I take old chlorotrimeton and sniff it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Makes my allergies go, go away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I sniff waffles just for breakfast. You want to smell it, Steve? It's going on. Do you ever go to a Waffle House and just stand there and sniff? <laughs> and just sniff the people at the Waffle House? And play those corny jukebox songs. Have you ever played one of those at the Waffle House? They're all songs about the Waffle House. I love it. Meta began at the fucking Waffle House in like Alpharetta, Georgia or something like that. I love it. I like what I see. Great Beatle writer and scholar, longtime writer, reviewed this for the uh, Wall Street Journal. Alan Cozen, I think you pronounce his name. He's been a contributor to Beatle fan. I've been reading this guy for 30, 40 years. He is about as well-versed and educated as you can be when it comes to the Beatles. His Wall Street Journal review says there's nothing new here. Mm. I very politely disagree. One of the moments in Dig a Pony... You hear him singing the ooh in you on the very last note. John's last sung note is not noticeable on any other pressing. And on this one, Maybe that's from a leftover take of All I Want Is You, but you can't hear that in other pressings. That was my first, oh, shit moment. Yeah, that's wild. That is wild. Yeah, because that's the you in the All I Want Is is that they cut out. Right. Yeah, yeah, because that's from the rooftop. Again, it was, it's a nonsense song, but it, it, it did inspire our good old friend, Kirk Claudio, to sleep in the grounds of John's house. Yes. Because he brings that up. It's mentioned in the book, too. He, Kirk Claudio gets mentioned in the book, so that's why I bring him up yet again. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but, I mean, he's a classic character. He's one of, I, I love him. I'll, I'll bring him up as much as we can. Sixth Beatle, you've called him, <laughs> Kirk Claudio? <laughs> definitely. Definitely the sixth. He's the sixth, sixth, sixth member of the band. <laughs> <laughs> But he says, remember, remember that, that one, you, um, you can radiate everything you are, you can penetrate anywhere you go. Yeah. Syndicate Yeah. That was just having fun with words. And-, and Yoko says John always felt responsible for these people because they were the result of his songs. Yeah. And I think that shows like an empathetic side of Lennon that has, has been kind of brushed over in recent years. I agree with you. John really cared for people, especially strangers, which was easy while he was kind of subconsciously telling Julian to go fuck himself. Uh, I'm doing a demo. I'm a working class hero. Beat it. (laughs) Okay, you lock. Can you shut up? Because this door's open. Why don't you go in the other room or shut up or something? (laughs) Something to be. Now get out. Go back to your mom who I hate and cheated on every day. Um... So another thing, John's dialogue at the end, when he's saying, thank you, brothers, my hand's getting too cold to play a chord. That's never been this loud or clear. Like yeah. I, I, I was, I was astonished by it because this is one too. Our first episode began with this. It is a top three Beatles record for me. It always has been. And I know this record probably better than just about any. And that still floored me. It was clearer it was more direct it was like part of the song not a a, not a fade out moment exactly yeah all the chatter stuff's brought way up in the mix so you can actually 
you can hear it. My hands getting uh, too cold for my cord. What'd you think of Across the Universe? You can tell from the intro and the separation in that guitar intro that you're in for something special. The way the sitar creeps in, even Spectre's right. arrangement feels logical and clear, not pasted on the original. The original Let It Be, it sounds like John is fighting with the Phil Spector arrangement. The same way it does with Paul on Long and Winding Road. This has remedied that, Tony. Giles Martin, just like in All Things Must Pass, has found a way, the first time in 50-some years, to make Phil Spector's Beatle arrangements logical and intentional, not foisted upon. I don't know any other way to put it, but it didn't bug me. Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my opened mind, possessing and caressing me. Yeah, I think they really laid into the Phil Spector. They didn't try to bury it or, you know, hide it or whatever. So they laid into it, but they mixed it wonderfully. And I, yeah, that I, is that a sitar, I guess, at the top? It's, it creates a really ghostly quality. I don't know if he put some more reverb or whatever he did to it, but there's something that the song sounds just like more um, pastoral or something. I love it. And I've yeah. this has always been one of my favorite songs by uh, them. <laughs> By them. <laughs> Van Morrison's early group. Yeah, Van Morrison's band. Yeah, they did this first. Nothing's gonna change my world. God, I wish Brown Eyed Girl was played more frequently. <laughs> God damn it. There's a lot of Van Morrison I really, really love. I was a big Van Morrison guy for a long time, but much like with Clapton, I just, bye-bye guy. You're not quite Nugent level, but like I like my <laughs> heroes who don't spew misinformation. Um, yeah, this is lovely. It And it's certainly a better version than the one that's on past masters it is uh the 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 world wildlife i think i made a mistake in the last episode and called it world wildlife federation yeah the wwf yeah the, the wwf <laughs> remember the cartoon and they had like a cassette tape that was part of a, it looked like a vinyl record but it was really a cassette tape held in in plastic it was the weirdest uh, oh, Records. Yeah. Like, what is this is it a combo that. vinyl tape yes i forgot about like yeah i had like a hulkamania cd that when i worked radio they got a promotional copy of like the Hulk Hogan in the boot band or whatever it was. <laughs> I want to be a Hulkamaniac. Anyway. Can you feel the music? Can you feel the beat? You don't need drugs to move your feet. When the dealer tries to push on you, just tell him what you're going to do. I 
great. Uh, Columbia pressed that and Buckner and Garcia's Pac-Man fever. So Columbia was in the, and pipes of peace, a lot of novelty for Columbia in the eighties. Um, but yeah, I, I really feel like this version of across the universe, the let it be album. I've always preferred to the, to the wildlife version that's on past masters. And it's just never sounded this good here. Like I said before, the opening guitar intro, you can tell you're in for something special and it delivers. Yeah, the overdubs they used, it's great. I love that they lay it out. So it's 18 violins. <laughs> 18. Love that Skid Row track. <laughs> 18 and violins. <laughs> <laughs> Your crime is strings and it's <laughs> four violas, four cellos, there's a harp, three trumpets, three trombones, and 14 vocalists. Uh, that was used for I Me Mine and then some of the, I guess, across the universe as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. Right. I Me Mine, of course, uh, recorded January 8th of 1970, the last song by the Beatles, first song by the Threedles. That's right. The, it's the original now and then. <laughs> the, the original thinking of linking is, I mean, mine. It, it's so true. And the same note for me applies for Across the Universe. The bridge sounds so bassy and powerful. And Phil Spector was his call to re-edit it and repeat it to make it a longer song. We give him a ton of credit for that. Yeah. But even the descending horns at the end in the, the run out of the song... What I kept writing down, Tony, was they felt logical. They don't feel, go back and listen to the original Let It Be, and it really does feel like the Spectre arrangements are fighting with the Beatles. These just felt, I still don't love them, but they feel better and almost right. All I can hear, I'm in mind, I'm in mind. I dig this song. Me too. I do like that Spectre made it longer with that edit by just repeating the verse and chorus one more time. But it's funny because then that breaks Ringo's rule of not repeating drum fills or whatever. <laughs> and some of his best fills, some of Ringo's best drumming on record, by the way. Yeah, yeah. His last for the Beatles until whatever you want to call it. Threedles. Until, until free as a bird, where I think they also had Jim Keltner quietly just double. It's the problem with Ringo and tour. It's always like, hey, it's Ringo plus Greg Bissonette. Like, okay. All right. Here's something funny about Dig It. Uh, in the book, the lyric sheet it's typed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying yeah. to figure that out. Like, when did that happen? Did they, did they do it after the fact? Like in case there was going to be a lyric sheet for this album or. I think Paul at the time had a temporary secretary. <laughs> <and> <laughs> who refused to check her machine. <laughs> right. You know, she could be a belly dancer. I don't need a true romancer. <laughs> Come on. 
It's funny in the book to hear them discuss them calling each other about like, hey, we're going to time to go to work. It was, you know, they, there's yeah. these Are lines. you up? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the original, hey, you up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what that means. <laughs> to make a record. <laughs> you ready to go work on Teddy Boy? We're all into that. The fade up. The first like a Rolling Stone Tony's louder and the piano's more prominent. It's one of the disappointing things about the set is we don't get the full 15, <laughs> disappointing, I don't know, because it's more of a novelty. They're going to release a, a bonus record store day 45 of 15-minute Dig It and Carnival of Light will be the uh, the 45. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the the mix of Dig It here, and there is a longer one, obviously, both in the Glenn Johns and also in the, um, yeah. they do Can, Can You Dig It and the outtakes in this. But yeah, like it even made Dig It sound better. Like everything just fucking sounds better. They, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't mean to sound like like George Bush, but like mission accomplished on this set. Dig it, dig it, dig it. Thanks, can you dig it, my Georgie one? And now we'd like to do all the angels come. Well, I learned from the book that we Georgie Wood was a pantomime performer from Lennon's childhood. It's hard to do like a, a drop of someone doing pantomime, but here, here's, here's some of his work. Yeah, let's talk about the title track. Let it be album version. This is one of my favorite Beatles songs. I'm pretty sure it's not one of your very favorite Beatles songs because we've talked about that a few times. But what I want to ask you is, to me... Given how brilliant this mix is, it has never sounded better. It's always been the better take to the single version. Did this remix change your mind a bit on this song? Well, I tell you what, I, because I, I did listen to this album, you know, all the way through a couple times and just trying to figure out all the different versions, my ears, like my, my head always tuned it out, you know, that's why I like. I always knew there were two different guitar solos and now there's three or whatever, if you know, <laughs> four, however many versions there are now. But um, yeah. yeah, it made me just listen to it finally, you know, as opposed to just being like, uh, and even though I know the songs about his mom and this and that less so like the Virgin Mary. Um, yeah, I, I like this mix. I think, yeah, again, it's brighter, it's bigger, it's more deconstructed in a way, if that makes sense. I feel maybe I, I could hear each part more individually. That pre-chorus hi-hat that Ringo does is way up in the mix. Yes. And it really spotlights the behind the beat thing, especially the second to last hi-hat hit <laughs> going into the chorus is way behind. It's like uh, when I get home behind. There will be an answer. Let it be. Let it be. Yeah. And like when I get home, it works. I like because it because yeah. Ringo's still whatever pocket he's created still exists, whether he's behind the beat or not. This is the piano is the most prominent I've ever heard it. I got chills the second I played this track. It's the ultimate version of the song. The best way to hear it. What Giles Martin did is so fucking brilliant. Now, Tony, I've not a bead this. I'm going off my mind of loving this song for 40 some years. Giles Martin has the first horn entrance in the first chorus 
more muted than at any other point in the song. Hmm. Phil Spector's horns were the same dynamic and volume level throughout. Giles Martin's played with the dynamics and Sam O'Kell, and they have the horns crescendoing on the final chorus and the ride out of the song, and especially after George's solo. It's given the Phil Spector stuff purpose and shape. I, I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It is just gorgeous. And, you know, the remix of the single version is pretty damn nice, too. But hopefully the remix of this reinstates this as being this one isn't on one. It's not on the blue album, but this should be the definitive version. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I did do an AB with the past masters, the single mix and like the differences were insane. <laughs> You know, I'm sure. Yeah, it almost sounded like AM radio or something. The uh, the let the single mix that hit from the late 2010s. Ah. AM radio, remember that song? Before we move off of this, I mentioned Georgia solo in this. Obviously, so did you, being different than the single version. I'm going to go ahead and call this George's most underrated moment in any Beatles record. I think because it's not in the single version, which is probably then more well-known than the album version. And the fact that it's a much harder solo, he overdubs it. It's like a hard rock solo on top of this ballad, which is why I love it. And I feel like he gets lost in the discussion of great George Harrison guitar solo moments. It's emotional, it's soulful, it's respectful, and it also does its own thing. you're thinking about buying this and haven't bought it yet, please buy it. I get 4%. <laughs> Is that true? You get a Carrie's like, oh, you bought, you, bought, you bought Let It Be again. I'm like, yes, I bought Let It Be multiple times. <laughs> but this time I get five records and a book. <laughs> it's got an EP for those of you who like four song EPs and $150 thing of music. <laughs> well, one thing I will say about that master take that they ended up using Around the 258 mark, McCartney on the piano hits. Is that like a suspended second or it's like a suspended fourth almost? Yeah, it's not right, but it, it's right. I wake up to the sound of music. Mother Mary comes to me. Yeah, and he makes it work, but it always sticks out to me. I hear that. And it's not on other versions, you know, other mm-hmm. takes. 
It's uh, it's so great. Um, there's a low tuba note after the "Let It Be" chorus on the solo. You you can kind of just hear the tuba. Ringo's drum pattern is more prominent. Giles slash Samuel Kell have lowered the volume on his fills after "Shine On Till Tomorrow." Everything is in full blend for the end. The playing of dynamics in this remix. I don't know if they give Grammys for this kind of thing, but this is exemplary. I, it's my favorite remix of any Beatles song I've ever heard. I love it that much. Wow. With Hey Bulldog from the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, <laughs> clocking it at number two, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> No, that Yellow Submarine, yeah, that's a good record. That's a good mix. Yeah, that kicks, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I'm going to have to disagree. I think that Maggie May is actually the superior mix Fair. than Let It Be. And I'll give you that. Level of improv, don't play the scene you're in. Play the scene that you think you deserve to be in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, does that mean it's a wait? There's a good scene going on. Should I enter it? <laughs> I want to get in on this. Make it your own. <laughs> yeah. I, I always every you, if if you can you make a strong declaration. You enter any improv scene and yell like "nice hot dogs." Yeah. you're going to get a big laugh get and you laugh. win. You win, and then lights, and you're like, "I saved that scene." <laughs> <laughs> That's why I always start with a gun because you can't top it. You just can't. Well, hello, it's producer Casey here. As the guys mentioned a bit earlier, there's so much let it be goodness to talk about. This one's actually going to be a three-parter, which means this series is probably going to bring us just about to the Thanksgiving holiday, at which point we obviously will need to cover the Peter Jackson Get Back documentary. And we know it's a lot of time to spend with the Let It Be era, but we've been waiting so long for these 50th anniversary releases. We think it's worth the time, and we hope you do too. So we'll pick up with side two of Let It Be next week. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. If you stop by our Facebook page, you might have noticed that we just hit a major milestone with 50,000 downloads of this podcast which is pretty awesome, something we never really imagined when we set out to make it. It's been such a thrill making this show and getting to geek out with all of our fellow Fab Four fans, so thank you for checking us out. If you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, give a thumbs up on Pandora, follow on Spotify, anything you can do to sort of help the algorithms spread the word about our mighty little show. Special thanks this week to guest editor D'Angelo Peculiarissimo. Fantastic work, as always. And that's all I got. We will catch you next week with side two of Let It Be. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 